0: God sent His only Son to earth to give mankind a second birth. Still many seek some other way. Can't they hear the Father say? Isn't it enough? I sent my son, and isn't he enough? The Holy One, how could it be enough? The work that you could do, his blood's enough for me. Why isn't it enough for? Begging on the street The rich and poor alike Both need to come to Christ The only way Humbled as they hear God say Isn't it enough? I sent my son And isn't he enough, the Holy One? How could it be enough, the work that you could do? His blood's enough for me. Why isn't it enough for you? And yes, it is enough. God sent his Son, and Jesus is enough the Holy One how could it be enough the works that we could do His blood's forgiven me my friend is it enough for And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is enough, enough to pay for your sins and my sins, the sins of the world. Anything else we could ever think of that could ever hold value, we think would hold value in the eyes of God, all of our works, all of our righteousness, uh, any church attendance, any giving, any kindness, all of that falls far short of being able to pay for our sins. But the blood of Christ, that is enough. Thank God for it. It's good to see you on this Sunday morning. And uh, we are, of course, privileged to be able to be here. Just in case we've not yet had the privilege to meet, my name is Tim Thompson. The picture on the screen, I think I was younger then, but it's pretty much the same person. And the person that uh, standing beside me on the screen who was playing the piano just a moment ago is my wife, Brittany. And uh, Brittany and I have been traveling in revival work and evangelism now for the last, well, we've been traveling for 23 years since we've been married, traveling full-time preaching since 2005. I'm very glad to be able to be here at First Baptist Church of Land Lakes again. If you're newer to the church, that is, with the last couple of years, then we probably not had the opportunity to meet, but you may have met my parents. They, they attend a church here. Uh, Larry and Judy Thompson are seated right over here, and they're members here. Actually, in all fairness, now, this morning in the early service, Pastor Rick Averett got up, and he said, um, this is the, the son of Larry and Judy Thompson. In all fairness, I've been coming to this church a lot longer than they have. <laughs> When Brittany and I were first married, we started coming to First Baptist Church, Land of Lakes, once or maybe twice a year, and we would come and visit and had opportunity to preach here a number of times, and very thrilled to be able to do so. So if you know my parents better than me, don't come up and say, oh, are you his son? Come up to my dad and say, oh, you're Tim's dad, or something like that. It'll just make me feel better, and I'd I'd be very grateful about it. Brittany and I have four boys. Seth is in the service. Seth, do you mind just uh, so people know who you are? This is Seth, and Seth is sixteen years old, and then we have three other boys, and they 're wreaking havoc in kids in kids' services and in nursery so uh, Samuel, not that you 'll remember it 's not really important but i 'll just tell you anyway. Samuel is ten. Asher is eight, and then we have a two year old Isaac. And he's in the nursery, and he was God's surprise gift to Brittany and I. Um, when we were past the age that we thought it would be <laughs> prudent to have a child, so we were, I was 42 when, when, when Isaac was born, and um, I realize now why God gives children to younger people because the later nights and everything. So anyway, awful Boys, we're thankful for all of them. We traveled about nine, ten months out of the year. We're on the road. Very grateful to be able to be here. We're really thrilled to have Andrew and Carissa Henry with us this week. Andrew's an evangelist and has agreed in this year to travel with us on sev- in several of our revival meetings, and he helps with the uh, choir and singing, and we'll be speaking to kiddos throughout this week in the evening services when we dismiss children from the uh, service um, throughout, throughout this week. So I'm thrilled for them to be here with us. You'll enjoy getting to know them. They have a five-month-old baby girl Her name is April, and she's as cute as can be, and I think she's over in the nursery else with Mama right now, one or the other. Hey, speaking of their being with us, this week we're doing something that um, I don't know if it's common, if you all have done it very often here, but we are this week, and we're going to have a revival choir, meaning in every service this week, Tonight, 6 o'clock, and then 7 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the choir is going to be singing. And the neat thing about the Revival Choir is it's open up to people who are not or cannot be members of the choir normally. Maybe you have responsibilities where you're not able to be involved in choir normally, but you enjoy singing. This is the opportunity for you to join. If you're a part of First Baptist Church Orlando Lakes, and we usually say ages 15 on up, then you are welcome to come and be a part of choir. So choir practice here's the way it works. You'll have a choir practice. Is it at 445? Okay, so 445 tonight. And uh, so you'll have choir practice tonight, and it'll go about 45 minutes to an hour. And then every night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we'll meet a half an hour before the service. And even if you're not able to make it, maybe because of your job, you couldn't get here at 30 minutes before us. So you're thinking, oh, I can't be involved. Well, if, if you can get here by service time, they will work on the music. You'll work on the music tonight, most of it. And then it'll just refresh your minds and, and learn a little bit more as the week goes on. So tonight at 4.45 and then every night a half an hour before the service. So 6.30 or I like to say at 6.29, choir practice will start. And uh, you, can be, you can be involved in choir even if you're not normally. And I hope that you will be. You'll enjoy it. It will be a help to the services and uh, you'll have opportunity to praise the Lord as uh, the service, as, as we go through the service in your choir special. So Brother Andrew will be leading that. If you have any questions about it, you can come see him. He'll be able to give you any answers that you need to know. And anything he doesn't know, Pastor Rick Averett will know. And anything Pastor Rick Averett doesn't know, then Pastor Peterson knows. And so we'll, we'll be able to figure it out one way or another. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here, and we are thrilled to be able to be here. Take your Bibles, please, and let's go to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter number 4 this morning. Revelation chapter 4, and in just a minute, we're going to look at a couple verses out of this passage. While you're finding your place, let me just reiterate one more time that this is a revival week. I hope that's not news to most of you. That is that we're having special services this week. And and this week is on purpose. It's designed on purpose to be a help to First Baptist Church of Lando Lakes. Now, if you know people in the area that uh, don't attend a church or that go to a different church then we would love to be able to have them out to the services throughout this week. And I mean that sincerely. I'm an evangelist. That is, God has called me to declare, to preach to people the gospel, how they can have their sins forgiven because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them, how they can have eternal peace with God and live forever with God in a place called heaven. That is what God has called me to preach. And while every service will not be strictly um, just the gospel message about the death burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ the gospel will be given both in song and in word in each service so if you know people who do not know the lord who are not saved or as far as you know they are not I want to encourage you, especially this week, to invite them out. We found this to be true. Maybe you have as well. Sometimes people will come to a service that's not on a Sunday. That is, if you're having special services and you say, hey, we're having special services and we're meeting together on Monday night at 7, can you come with me? Well, I can't on Monday night because uh, my kid has soccer practice. Well, what, what about Tuesday night? Well, on Tuesday night, I'm planning a headache or something like that. On Wednesday night, can you come? And you can ask them for several nights in a row Then, oftentimes... People are more willing to be able to come to a service through a weeknight when they wouldn't feel as comfortable perhaps on a Sunday. Whatever the reason for that, it's not warranted. But Whatever the reason, this is an opportunity for you to be able to invite the people that you know. And I hope that you will sincerely invite people to come this week. And then I'd encourage you to pray about this week. Ask God to speak to your heart this week. Ask God to speak to your family. Ask God to give me exactly what it is that I need in order to be able to preach what it is that you need. I mentioned just a moment ago this week is designed for First Baptist Church of Land of Lakes. This is a good opportunity. A week like this is a good opportunity for us to push away from all of the noise of the world around us a little more often than what we normally what we normally do, and to be able to gather together. And wipe off the dust of the things that surround us on a regular basis that aren't necessarily bad, but they're not eternal. That is, they're temporal. It's paying bills and uh, working at the job and talking to family and relationships and neighbors and household chores. It's a good opportunity for us this week to be able for a time to press away from those things and gather together and be able to refocus our attention on eternity. And I hope you'll take full advantage of it. This week is designed for you, and First Baptist Church will be helped by this week. And I don't say that because I'm the one that's preaching. I'm saying it because what we're going to be learning uh, this week, where we're going to be looking this week, is from the Scriptures. And everything that God says is absolutely true, and it will be a help to you. So please, come to every service it you possibly can. It's super important. I mentioned this in the early service. Look, if you, if you have a job that keeps you out of the services, that is because of your, your work. Services, again, are at 7 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So maybe your job is a second shift job and you work late into the night or whatever. Look, I understand. Just quit your job and come to the services. <laughs> come, or you can get fired. I don't care. Either way. Um, no, I'm, I'm teasing, of course kind of. Uh, but I do hope that you'll come to every service that you possibly can. I would, I would encourage you to even consider, if you do work in times of service, and I don't know what your job situation is, and I'm not even saying you should do this, um, but if you could, you might ask the Lord and consider asking your boss if you can have a little bit of time. Services will normally be about an hour in length. They'll start at 7, be finished around 8, 8.15 typically within, within that block. So even if you work in the evenings, you could find out Perhaps you could ask, hey, could I come in earlier? Could I come back after the services? And uh, make, make, it a, make it a priority. Well, you say, but Tim, do you really think that highly of your preaching that you think we should come? Again, this, this week is not based upon my experience or my ability. This week will be built on what God has to say to you, to your family, and to this church. And that's valuable. That's important. So please come to the best of your ability, and let's anticipate seeing what God is going to do in our hearts. All right? All right, let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter number four. And uh, many of you, I'm I'm sure, are confident, are familiar with the book of Revelation. But just in case you're not, let me just kind of give you the overview of why this revelation is in the Bible, why God gave it to us, at least according to what we can see. The first three chapters of the book of Revelation are basically a, a series of letters that the Lord Jesus Christ wrote to different specific churches. And when he wrote these letters, he would tell each church individually the things that he saw in them that either caused him concern or else he was pleased regarding. And so Jesus Christ himself writes to these different churches and instructs them in what they're supposed to do. And then when you get to chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, everything changes. It goes from instruction from Christ to a group of churches— to, in essence, a narrative that unfolds, that is a storyline where God begins to tell us a story. But the special thing about the book of Revelation is that it's not just a storyline like an average storyline. This is a storyline regarding the future where God actually opens the curtain a little bit so that we can get a peek into what it is that's going to take place in the future, both on earth and in heaven. Now, in the first part of Revelation chapter 4, we have a scene that unfolds for us where God reveals to us a future event where all those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ have gathered together in heaven. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to read two verses for you. But before I do, I would like to do my best to be able to paint a little bit of a picture to let you see what it is that God intends for us to see as he writes this for us. So for some of you who haven't used your imagination in a long time, hey, dust it off a little bit. If you're a little bit tired this morning, this is the time to shake yourself and uh, pay attention. I'm going to do my best to unfold, to to paint this for us so that we can get a, a, a feeling, a sense of the scene that is around us and then learn from this what it is that God has for us to learn. In the Bible, there are two types of passages. One type is informational, where God teaches us truth. Truth upon truth upon truth upon truth. Think the Apostle Paul when he wrote letters to the different churches and he said, this is true, therefore this is true, therefore this is true, This is therefore this is true. That's informational. And then God gives us narratives. He gives us storylines. And I will tell you, this is true. When you read or when you listen to preaching, if you can allow yourself to step into the story for a moment, to smell the smells and to see the sights and to catch a glimpse of what the emotion might be, the anticipation or the fear or whatever it is that's being felt, then it allows the scripture to come to life and you begin to see and understand things that otherwise you would completely miss because you're getting what it is that God is delivering. So here's the scene. All the saved, all those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior from all ages gathered together in one place. So many that with our natural eyes, we could not even guesstimate the number of people that have gathered A large mass of humanity, all who have been redeemed by the blood, all gathered together and all standing together and looking in one direction. And as we look, what we're seeing is a large platform. In my mind, I see a a massive platform, perhaps as large as several of our buildings here at First Baptist put together. A large platform. And the Bible doesn't tell us this, but in my brain, just seeing it, what I see is a series of 20 or 30 steps made out of marble or granite or something of that nature that lead up to this platform. Now, on the platform, in the very very center, is a throne And seated on the throne is God himself. The glory of God emanates in such a way so that with our natural eyes, we would not even be able to look at him and to be able to live. But with the new bodies that we have been given, we all look and the glory and the beauty and the majesty, the greatness that is our God on the throne. Surrounding the throne, flying around the top of the throne, there are what the Bible refers to as beasts. And as they fly, they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Also, around the throne, there are 24 chairs. And seated in these chairs are 24 elders. Now, we don't know exactly who these men are. We we believe that they represent the saved of the earth. And we do know that they serve God with their lives because they are wearing crowns. So there's 24 elders seated around the throne. And this is the view for all those who have trusted Christ as Savior and have gathered together. Every eye is fastened. There is no care regarding what's happening around me. I It, it doesn't even enter my mind. Things that will take place place past this very moment, because this moment is so significant as to grab and grip the attention of every person. I will tell you that in the hearts of all the people that have gathered together in that moment, there will be great anticipation, because this is the moment for which we have waited, when our faith becomes sight, and the one in whom we have believed without seeing, our eyes now behold. And it's a glorious moment. But there's no elbows. There's no side whispers. There's no writing of notes. Every heart. Every eye. Every face. Mouths open with awe and wonder of the view that we have of our great God. Now that's the scene when all of a sudden, as if on cue, Verses 10 and 11 of Revelation 4 take place. How long we who have trusted Christ have stood and gazed upon our God and our Savior. We don't know how much time has passed. But as if on cue, verse 10 declares this. Hey, would you, would you allow me to read or to quote this one more time? And would you, would you this time, now forgive me, I don't mean to treat you like children, but would you this time, instead of reading along with me, would you let your mind see it unfold? The scene, the platform, the throne, the beast's, the Bible describes a rainbow over the top, the 24 elders in the chairs. And all of a sudden, as one man, 24 rise, the 24 elders, and they fall down before him that sits on the throne. And they worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And Father, as we take a few moments and consider what it is that is spoken in the scene that we have been privileged to look into today, I pray that you would give us a heart to receive, eyes to see, ears to hear. Let us learn, dear Father, everything that you would have us learn. And as a result of our learning, may our lives be different. I pray, dear God, that you would let us, like Isaiah, see you high and lifted up. And would you please cause us to recognize you for who you are. I ask this, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and always for your glory. Amen. This scene in Revelation chapter 4 provides for us a moment of seeing the greatness that is our God. I hope this morning that as I attempted to describe what it will or may look like when we get there for those of us who have trusted Christ, I hope your mind could see it and I hope your heart got in tune with with the uh, grandeur that is our God and the greatness. You know, it's interesting, we put a lot of uh, emphasis on exalting people whom we respect, or that the world respects. Sometimes it may not even be somebody that we respect as a person, but we respect their position. Take, for example, people in political office. On occasion, especially in this year upcoming, when we're going to be voting for a new president of the United States, there will be a lot of, uh, they call it, or at least they used to, stumping. That is, they're going to go around to different places, the the candidates, and they're going to begin to give speeches. Actually, they already are. I think they have been for the last, I don't know, six and a half years. And so they're going around, and they're giving speeches, and they're trying to do their best to get as many votes as possible. And in order to help them with this, they do everything they can to make themselves seem as important as possible. And yet, to be viewed as as humble as possible. Now, one of the ways that they do this is, instead of them, most of them, introducing themselves, they'll have other people do it for them. You ever notice this? Almost always, before anyone of anybody, uh, any uh, national clout, anyone who's really known, before they get up and give a speech to a group of people who have gathered together to hear them speak, there will be someone who gets up and says something along the lines of, ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you Mr. or Miss or Mrs., and then they'll give their name and then perhaps the office that they're running for. And everybody in the crowd will always cheer. When, when, I, when I was in high school, I went to hear the Vice President of the United States speak. Um this was in, this was in the uh, 90s, so I'm going to date myself a little bit, but it was Dan Quayle. He was the vice president, and he was speaking at a junior college near where my family lived, and so I wanted to go hear him speak. I liked Mr. Quayle, and I wanted to go hear him speak, so I got up early and went to the, uh, to the junior college, and they directed me to a gymnasium that they had set up for that event, So I'd never been to anything like this before. I come into the gymnasium and if I remember correctly because it was 150 years ago, um, the bleachers were down and I think they had seats on the uh, chairs on the the basketball court and then they had set up a makeshift platform at one end of the gymnasium that had a, if I use the term, catwalk. Do you know what I mean by that? Just like a built up sidewalk that led over to a side door of the gymnasium. So I come and I find a seat, we sit down, and up on the up on the platform, nobody's speaking yet, but there's a band up there playing music. And I did not realize this, again, because it was the first time I'd ever been to an event like this, that before you got to hear the main speaker, the one you came to hear, you also had the privilege of listening to all the local politicians get up and make their speeches. And so one after another, they would get up and they would try to get the crowd going and they would, they would give their, their uh, bullet points and try to get people uh, all set up and ready to go. But then when it came time for Mr. Quayle to speak, he still wasn't in the building. I'm thinking to myself, I've been gypped. <laughs> this is horrible. I've come all this way and I've listened to these guys. And what I wanted to do was hear, Dan Quayle, what's the deal? But towards the end of the time that I knew it was supposed to last, some gentleman in a dark suit comes up to the lectern up on the makeshift platform and he says something like this Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the Vice President of the United States of America? And the side door opens and in with a quick pace and a forward walk comes Mr. Dan Quayle, and he's walking down the catwalk, and people are yelling and cheering and screaming. There's a few boos, but most everybody's yelling and cheering and screaming, and he's waving to people as he walks up, and he walks over to the side and waves to people, and he points at somebody like he knows him. He's never seen him in his life, but he points to him like he knows him, and he says hello, and he comes here. People are still clapping and cheering. He's up there, and he's just accepting it and a little bit of this, you know, and he is a politician after all. So He's standing here, and then finally, everyone quiets down and he gives his speech. Now, I don't remember anything about the speech that I heard on that day. What I do remember is sometime later thinking to myself, Huh, I wonder why they had to introduce him. <laughs> because it's not like anybody in the gymnasium that day, when he was introduced, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you the vice president of the United States? Nobody went. Oh, that's the vice president. Oh, I wondered who it was this year. Nobody nobody did that. They were here to listen to the vice president So, so that the introduction was not so much a matter of, you don't know who he is, let me introduce him to you. It was more a matter of, out of respect for the position that he holds. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Vice President of the United States of America. Okay. In a much more significant way this morning, not because you don't know who he is, but out of respect for who he is. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you your God. The glory and the majesty of God that's described in Revelation chapter 4 is enough to take the breath away of any saint who has spent any time with God at all. Any of you who have ever experienced what Isaiah experienced when in his heart, in the vision, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Any of you who have ever spent any time in the scripture and have come into contact with the God, pardon me, the God of heaven who created all things you know that the majesty of God is significant beyond anything or anyone we could ever see. And in essence, this Sunday morning message is, I present to you God. Now, I love the scene. I love what God tells us about what is going to take place in the future. I cannot wait I'm looking forward with great anticipation to the day when I will stand with all of those who are here this morning, who have accepted Christ as Savior, and with those across every tongue and every nation from all time periods. And we will look with eyes fastened and heart determined as we look and view God and watch this scene unfold. I love the scene as it's declared here in Revelation chapter four. But I will tell you that one of the things that that I love about this passage is something that God showed to me a number of years ago when I was just reading through and it was one of those moments when God did allow me access in and I saw God for who he was and I began to view this scene And I saw what the 24 elders did, and I heard what the 24 elders said, and it was like as if in that moment, God woke me up and said, Tim, look at what it is that I'm trying to tell you. Look at the significance of what takes place and the significance of what is said in this moment. And here's basically what it is. When these 24 elders cast their crowns at the feet of God and they bow their faces to the ground and they worship Almighty God, they cry out this. Now listen to what they say. They declare, thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Thou art worthy. Now when these 24 elders make this statement, please catch this. They really do say a mouthful. What they say is significant. Now, you say, well, of course it's significant because God himself is significant. Well, that's true. But it's not only significant because of the moment, but it's because of what it also reveals to me, to us, about ourselves and about God. Namely this. I began, when I noticed this, to realize about myself, and maybe you notice the same thing about you if you're honest about it, how extremely man-centered I am even in the way that I think about God. Here's what I mean. I always think about the goodness and greatness of God In relationship to the blessings of God that I've received on my life. That is, if I were to say, Hey, isn't God good? You could say, Amen. Because you've experienced it. We're seated in an air conditioned auditorium. (laughs) Isn't God good? Yes, He is. I'm gonna guess that at least 98% of us had breakfast this morning. Isn't God good? Well, yeah. You have a good church that you get to be a part of. Isn't God good? You have a pastor that loves you and preaches the Bible. Isn't God good? You have family members that you care about. Isn't God good? But do you see how us-centered that is? Let me see. Let me see if I can illustrate it in a way that'll make it a little bit clearer. Um, okay. I'm a preacher, and as a preacher, it's my responsibility to tell you what it is that God says. Correct? Are you with me thus far? (laughs) I see the eyes glazing over. Okay, stay with me, people. Come on. Uh. It's my responsibility to tell you what God says, and I don't mean this arrogantly or in a mean spirit, but I'm supposed to tell you what God says without great concern about how you think about it or what you think of me when I tell you, right? And again, I don't, mean, I don't mean look for opportunities to be as mean, you bunch of sorry people. I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean that when God says don't do something that I'm supposed to tell you God says this is sin, don't do it. Or when God says to do something, God says this is right, this is good, do it. I'm supposed to tell you don't or do based upon what God says to me and I'm not supposed to let your countenance deter me or your money or your influence, or your perceived power, none of that is supposed to move me. My responsibility to God is to tell you what God says don't or do. Are you with me thus far? Do you agree with me about this? I mean, I don't care if you agree with me or not, but do you agree with me? Okay, because I'm not supposed to. So let me tell you what my tendency is as a preacher. I'm reading through the Bible and I'm seeing in the Bible where God says, don't, that's bad, or do, this is good. And I think to myself, oh, I need to preach that. God puts it on my heart. I need to preach this. I need to tell the people of First Baptist Church of Lakes God says, don't do this, or that you need to do this. So I will begin to lay out a uh, message of how I can deliver this to you. How can I tell you everything that God says about this or this, don't or do? And I find myself almost always, almost always, either looking at a passage where God says don't, looking around the passage or else, trying to think logically about how. If if I tell people don't, I need to also let you know that if you will avoid what God says not to do, when God says it's wrong, if you'll stay away from it, hey, hey, your life will be better. I need to make sure, I think to myself, that I tell the people that if they'll obey God and if they'll stay away from what God says to stay away from, look, you'll avoid so many scars. There may be a way that seems right unto man, but the end of those ways are the ways of death and you don't want to die, do you? You want to live, don't you? God knows what's best. God knows what's bad. Listen to God. He's the one who made everything. He's the one who knows what your life will be. He knows tomorrow like he knows yesterday. Stay away from what God says not to do. It's good for you. Or if God says to do something, hey, when God says to do something, his intention is not to lay some heavy burden on you. His intention for you is good. He wants you to be the best version of you that you can be. He wants you to have the best life you can have. So he tells you to do things, but don't look at him as an ogre who just wants to rule over people. No, his heart is towards you. And the very worst that God has to offer to you is better than the best that sin has to offer to you. So your life will be better if you do what God says. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that true? Do you avoid heartache if you stay away from what God says to stay away from? Yes or no? Does God promise blessing to those who live in obedience? Yes or no? If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, will your needs physically, can God, will God meet those on your behalf? Absolutely that is true. Okay, but friends, listen to this. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, when 24 elders fall down before him to sit on the throne and they cry out, thou art worthy, O Lord, what they are doing in essence is saying that there is a deeper truth that you and I need to come to grips with and allow to sink into our hearts and into our minds and to begin to live our lives from this truth that the worthiness of God of having our power or honor from us, that is first place where what he says matters, or praise from us. Having that from us is not based on what it is that we receive from him. It is based primarily upon the fact that he is who he is, that he is God. Sometimes as a preacher, I feel a little bit like a cheerleader who's trying to encourage people to do right, okay? Now forgive, forgive the silliness of this illustration. Do you guys, do you guys know what hostess Twinkies are? Okay, the sixth food group. No, I'm just kidding. No, not really. I actually don't prefer them. But uh, Hostess Twinkie. So sometimes, okay, sometimes as a preacher, I feel like um, I'm standing in front of people with a Hostess Twinkie, and I'm saying, hey, do you see this? Do you see this? This is good. Oh, smells good. Mm, I've tasted this before. You know what this is? This is the blessing of God. And, hey, listen to me, if you'll stay away from what God says to stay away from, or if you'll do what God says to do, do you know what you get? (laughs) The blessing. Now, you want this, don't you? Yes, you do. Shake your head yes. Yes, you do. And If you will obey God, I'm telling you, you can't get any better than this. Boy, the illustration breaks down. You can't do any better than this. This is the blessing of God. This is so good. Now, you obey, hey, listen, uh, 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 listen to me. You obey God, you do what God says, and you can have the blessing. Are you ready? Are you ready? Church is almost over. Are you ready? Are you ready? Go serve God, go serve God, and you can have the blessings. Now, forgive the silliness of the illustration, but sometimes it's almost how I feel. Hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. God wants what's good for you. He wants your life to be good, for you to avoid the scars of mistakes, for you to enjoy every blessing that he wants to give to you. Okay, but listen to me. The fact of the matter is, is that God is worthy because he's God. Not because of the blessings that he has given to us. Can we praise him for the blessings he's given to us? Yes, we can. Has he not sent his son that we might have life? Absolutely. Okay, but hear me and hear me in context. And think, please, when I say it. Even if God had never sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sins, it would not negate the fact that he's worthy. He's worthy because he's God. And if I am sick, he is worthy. If I am healthy, he is worthy. If I am rich, he is worthy. If I am destitute, he is worthy. If my friends love me, he is worthy. And if my family forsakes me, he is worthy. He is worthy because he's God. So somebody says, Tim, what difference does it make if I serve God because he's worthy or if I serve God for the blessings? We already know that he's promised blessings. What difference does it make? Either way, I'm following God. If I'm thinking to myself, I'll obey God because I trust that God will give me a better life than what I could live on my own. What difference does it make if that's my motivation or if my motivation is, ah, he's worthy? Okay, here's here's the difference. The moment, if you live your life based upon the blessings, l- l- making your choice to follow God based upon uh, the fact that he gives you blessings, the moment that the blessings that you perceive as coming from God for your obedience, for your love, for your following, for your praising him, for your whatever that God asks you to do, the moment that the blessings that God promises or that you perceive will come as a result, don't match up either in amount or speed to what you feel like you could get by walking your own way, then the temptation to follow your own way is going to be huge. Are you listening still? But if my choices, praise, honor, power, if all of that is given to God on a daily basis, on a choice basis, based upon the fact that he's worthy because he's God, then my decisions are made regardless of what I will or won't get. Do do you see the difference? Okay. um, Husbands, Quickly, husbands! Did you know that God gives instruction to you on how to treat your wife? How many of you, how, how many of you who are married, are aware that God gives instructions to husbands on how to treat their wives? You're supposed to love your wife as your own self. Uh, love them as love your wife—not him, her. Whew, in this day, um, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and you're supposed to dwell with her according to knowledge and impossibility without God, if ever there was one. Um, So all of these things, this 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 is what God tells us. So this is the, hey, do this. This is the, do this. Okay. So this has never happened to anybody in this room, and it's never happened to me. I understand that. You understand that. But both of us men, we've read books about this. And let's just say in some of the books that we've read that there's a story about a wife who knows how to push the buttons of the husband. Now, it's never happened in your life. I understand that. But in this book that you and I have both read, there's a wife who, whether purposefully or accidentally, pushes, says something or does something that just irritates the husband. This book was, was really instructive that I read. So, if a husband in that moment when the wife suggests that he's lost or or questions his ability to drive um, or suggests that the list has been on the refrigerator long enough and really should be, I mean, just things that I read about in that book. So if if any of those things happen, in in that moment when that happens and everything's turning on the inside of that husband in that book, if, you say, hey, to the husband, hey, if you'll treat your wife with love and patience, dwell with her according to knowledge, then in 10 years, you'll be glad that you did. And you put that on the scale along with how good it would feel to go ahead and just say everything that's coming through my mind <laughs> so that this conversation never happens Again, well, the promise of future blessing doesn't match up to how good it would feel. Okay, listen to me. If I treat my wife the way God tells me to treat my wife, and I do it based upon the fact that he is worthy, And how she responds, or how much of a blessing, or how big of a kiss, none of that matters, primarily <laughs> because God is worthy. Do you, can you see the difference this would make? So, whether the boss sees how you're working or not, oh no, God's instructed me. He is worthy. Remember Joseph, Potiphar's wife? His response How could I sin and do this great wickedness against God? Why? Because He's worthy. Can I give you one other quick illustration and then our, our time is finished. Um, and this is not meant to be a twisting of the arm, but please hear me all the way through. Almost every week in revival meetings, I'll stand up on Sunday morning and say to you or say, say, uh, say to others what I've said to you this morning. Namely, hey, we're having revival meetings this week, the special week. I don't know if you normally come back on Sunday night. But come back tonight at 6 o'clock, even if you don't normally. I don't know what your normal habit is, but come back tonight. Hey, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, come. Even if you have to quit your job or get fired, get here, be here. Why? Well, because this week is designed for you. It will benefit your church. It will help you. This is what God wants. This this will be good. Come to the services. And almost every week, I stand up and I encourage people. And I mean it. I do mean it. I I want people to come. I want people to come not because of me. I want you to come for you because because I know it'll be a blessing to you. Okay. But if you and I honestly lived from the starting block of thou art worthy O Lord. Would an announcement like come to services if at all possible even be necessary? Well, you say, but Brother Tim, I've heard you preach, and you're not, that, you're not that impressive. I'm not sure that the blessing that I would receive by coming is worth the tiredness I would feel. Okay, look, I get it. I hear me all the time. If there's anybody that understands, and if you don't feel sorry for me, feel sorry for my family. They hear me all the time. Okay, but listen. Listen. This is not, this is not about me. Are you listening? This is really not about how big of a blessing you can get out of this week, though I hope you do. This is a decision like every other decision that ought to be based upon the fact of thou art worthy, O Lord. So, and I mean this honestly, if you're not planning on coming back tonight or the rest of the week, listen, I mean this, I mean it, just ask God. But ask him honestly. Don't, don't don't, say, amen, God is worthy, amen, God is worthy, and then not realize that when I recognize that God is worthy, what I mean is he's worthy of all praise, all honor, all power, every decision, every obedience, he is worthy of it all. And if God tells you not to come, then don't. And I mean it. Don't come. Obey God. But if God, through his word or by his spirit, says, yeah, you should go, he's worthy. So the question this morning, friends, is not so much, is God worthy? That's not the question. He is worthy. The question this morning is this. Do you recognize God as worthy? Do you live from the starting block, from the diving board of thou art worthy? How I make my steps, how I make my choices, Is based upon this first. You're worthy, and you're worthy because you're God. That has always been, it will never change. And if I receive good or evil at the hand of the Lord, still, He is worthy. And He is. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you this morning. My heart and my head are bowed before you because you are certainly worthy, O Lord. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And it would be my privilege, O God, while here on this earth to join with 24 elders who bow down before your throne. Any good that has been accomplished through my life to be cast at your feet, the one from whom it came, and to recognize the fact that thou art worthy, O Lord. And unashamedly, Father, for your glory and for your honor and for power being given to you uh, from this group of people, I ask you that you would please press this truth deep into our hearts and into our conscience so that it does become the baseline for our decisions. And then to be able to bless your name and to praise you for the extra blessings you give, that will be our privilege but regardless of what we receive from your hand, you are worthy, O Lord. Now, please help in this brief invitation time. Teach us the things fully that we need to know. I ask in the name of Jesus. Our friends, with heads bowed and eyes closed, before pastor comes and closes the service, however he sees fit, I have a couple questions I'd like to ask. If you would... Um, keep your eyes closed just so nobody feels any social pressure but, but please do stay attentive. How many this morning would say by an uplifted hand Tim this morning I see I see again or I see perhaps for the first time how the worthiness of God should affect or impact my life. I cannot say that I have been living from the starting block of He is worthy, but I see that this needs to be the bedrock upon which my life is built and my choices are made. And I want today to be a turning point. I want to begin to recognize the fact in my life that God is worthy because He is God, and that will never change, and my choices should reflect that. I wonder how many this morning would say, God spoke into my heart, and there's a decision that needs to be made. Would you slip up your hand if that's true for you and let me pray with you about it? This is something that I've needed. This is something God has shown to me. And I see the importance, the value of it. Okay, you can put your hands down. Would others join these? For Tim, I cannot say that this is where I've been living my life from. But I see this morning that he is worthy. And I want to live my life from this starting block. God is worthy because he's God. If you've already raised your hand, you don't need to raise it again, but if God has dealt anyone else's heart this morning, would you just simply slip up your hand and let me pray with you? Okay, several more hands, and God bless you. Let me ask one other question. A couple times this morning, I've mentioned about the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf, that God, though he is worthy without ever giving us anything good, has in his goodness, because it's a part of his character, sent his son to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to pay for our sins. Christ, who is perfect, paid for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven. And the Bible says that all who will trust in Christ, who will receive the Lord Jesus, that what he did on the cross would pay for their sins, would be applied to their sins, and we can have sins forgiven and be made right with God. I wonder if this morning there are some with us who you've not yet made the decision to trust Christ as Savior, to receive him, to be the one who can forgive you from your sins and make you right with God. And I wonder this morning if you'd say, that's what I need or I have questions about it. Would you slip up your hand if that's true for you? Anyone like that? I've not yet made the decision to trust Christ, but I need to or I have questions about it. Please pray for me. Just raise your hand high enough for me to see it. I don't want to miss anybody. This is so valuable, so important. Okay, I don't see anyone raising their hand. If there's someone here who you have questions about it after the service, please come and see us. We'd be glad to talk to you about it. Would everyone look up this way? Hey, thank you. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. In just a minute, pastor's going to come. Before he does, um, you know, if, if this morning while I was preaching, an entourage of people came up and pushed me out of the way. And some guy in a suit got up and said, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to present to you. And then they announced the name of a person who holds a position in high leadership in our nation and someone someone that you respect. My guess is that you, along with others, because of the position that person holds, we would stand and perhaps we would clap. How much more significantly should our response be when someone of no significance stands and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you God. We may not stand and clap, but it ought to cause us to join 24 elders who bow heart, head, and if physically possible, knee and we worship him that liveth forever and ever. And we declare, thou art worthy. So I think it would be appropriate, it would be right, it would be good, if we take just a moment and do exactly that. Let me pray one more time. When I'm finished, Brittany's gonna begin to play. Are you gonna play thou art worthy, Rip? She's going to play a song called, Thou Art Worthy. If this morning you can, in honesty, recognize the fact that God is worthy, then I'd like to invite you to join 24 elders. If you're physically able, find a place. Here at the front, at your seat, kneel, bow your heart, your head, your knee before God. If you're not physically able to do that, you can bow your heart and your head where you sit but I think it would be appropriate for us on this day of all days to take a moment and to give <laughs> to our God what he is most certainly worthy of. Father, receive this please as it's intended to be in worship of you, our great God. And whether you have allow us to sense your presence as a result of it or not, is completely up to you, but whether we sense or feel anything, you are worthy. And that's true. I ask this, Father, that you would receive this in the name of Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed as Brittany begins to play.